Act 1, Prologue. Setting, Seattle, Washington at 6.17 p.m., college astronomy lecture. At rise, a professor stands at the front of her intro to astronomy class lecturing. It takes approximately eight minutes for the sun's light to reach the Earth. Therefore, we are never seeing the universe in real time. There's always a small delay. So if the sun went out right now, it would take eight minutes for us all to die? Well, we don't know for sure, since it's not likely to occur. But theoretically, there would be no natural sunlight or heat on Earth after those eight minutes. One student leans over to the girl next to him. This is actually a fascinating... If the sun went out, I could keep you warm. Boy winks at girl. I'd rather freeze. Even if the world ends? That's cold. Well, I don't see the world ending anytime soon, so I don't think that we really need to worry about that. Okay. How about a bet? If the world ends, you have to kiss me. Fine. In the very unlikely instance that the world does end and only the two of us survive, I will kiss you. Nick turns and high-fives the guy behind him. Humans and life as we know it, except for a lucky few, would cease to exist in a matter of weeks. So what do you think? How would people react if the sun went out? All phones begin vibrating and sounding furiously. Some students dive into bags, others look around curiously. Marie, who has her phone on her desk, immediately picks it up, ready to run out and make a call if necessary. Professor notices her first. Marie, please put your phone away. Professor notices that other students have theirs out as well. Hey, hey, no phones in class. Professor notices her own phone lighting up. She slowly walks over to pick it up. Before she makes it to her phone, the university emergency lights and sirens start blaring. Chaos surrounds them. Classroom lights slam black and we only see red flashing emergency lights. In the darkness, we hear an alarm and the alert. Emergency. 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 Report from NASA. The sun has gone dark. Eight minutes until the last photons reach the Earth. Situation unclear. Unprecedented issue. Shelter in place. Prepare for darkness. Repeat, the sun has gone dark. Blackout. Scene 1. Setting, Boston, Massachusetts at 9.20 p.m. Two bedrooms are set up with a divider between them. One has a king-size bed with two people sleeping in it. The other is a small twin-size bed with a mountain of books and stuffed animals surrounding it. Soft lamplight emanates from the twin bed area. At rise, the two men in the king-size bed are sleeping. A little girl is asleep in the next room. A man, Ryan, wakes up to the sound of his phone violently buzzing. He sleepily grabs his phone, putting on his glasses to read the alert. His husband, Nate, stirs. Mm, No. Ten more minutes. He sleepily opens his eyes and notices that Ryan hasn't laid down and is staring at his phone. What is it? Ryan? After a moment of hesitation, Ryan kisses Nate on the forehead. Nothing. Everything is... They'll hear a small voice from the other room, distracting them from their conversation. Daddy! You want to get her? Where should I? I got it. You sure? You've got to work early tomorrow. I don't mind. You've had a long week. Let me take care of it. Ryan gets out of bed to make his way towards the other room. Can you grab my phone while you're out there? Babe, you need to sleep. Please? I just want to check if he called. Nate, he's not going to call. You don't know that. Baby, you haven't heard from him in years. I hate always seeing you get hurt by him. I just thought with yesterday being the anniversary, he would have called. I mean, God, I I know he hates me, but she was my mom too. I know, baby. I I know. 
Ryan crosses back to the bed to sit on the edge, comforting Nate. Daddy! Look, I bet he just forgot. I mean, who knows if he even remembers what day it is down there. You can check it in the... In the... Morning. But for now, get some rest. Fine. I love you. Love you too. Ryan exits their bedroom. Jen is sitting on her bed holding a stuffed bunny. Ryan enters. What's wrong, sweetie? He sits down next to her. Bunny had a bad dream. It was scary. What was she dreaming about? I dreamed that I was an astronaut and I flew all the way to the moon. But then I got lost and I couldn't find Bunny or Daddy or you and I couldn't get back home and it was really, really scary. Come here, my little astronaut. Ryan reaches his arms out and Jenny climbs into his lap. I thought you said Bunny had the bad dream. Oh. Well, Bunny had the same dream. Oh, Bunny had the same dream. I see. Sweetie, do you remember when we went to the museum to see the planets for your fifth birthday? At the planetarium. <laughs> yes, at the planetarium. Now, do you remember the nice astronomer that talked to us? Remember how she told us all about the cool stuff in space? How you can jump super high on the moon and float all around in the sky? That doesn't sound so scary now, does it? But space is so big! What if I get lost, like in my dream? Space is very big. But you like adventure. Don't you still want to be an astronaut? I am going to be an astronaut, but I still get scared sometimes. That's okay. Even astronauts get scared sometimes. It's a hard thing to do, and sometimes it will be a bit scary. But you're brave enough to fill the whole universe. Yeah, I'm brave. Dada? I'm still a little scared. You're still a little scared? Why don't you come sleep with me and Daddy? Yes, please. Ryan picks up Jenny and Bunny and carries them both into his room. Nate sits up to greet them. We have a visitor. Uh-oh. Did someone have a bad dream? Bunny did. Oh, no. Poor Bunny. Looks like Dada took care of you. You and Bunny are safe now. You want a lullaby, sweetie? I think that sounds like a wonderful idea. Yes, please. Can Bunny listen too? Of course Bunny can listen. What would Bunny like to hear tonight? Hmm. She holds Bunny up to her ear like Bunny is whispering to her. She whispers back and nods. You are my sunshine. Good choice, Bunny. That's my favorite. Take it away, babe. Nate pulls Johnny to him while Ryan wraps his arms around both of them. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love. off as he falls asleep. Jenny opens her eyes sleepily when she notices the singing stopped. She looks up at Ryan. Dada? Ryan nods and Jenny closes her eyes and snuggles deeper into the covers. How much I love you. 
Please don't take my sunshine away. The other night, dear, while I was sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken. And I hung my head and I cried. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. He realizes they have both fallen asleep while he was singing. He kisses each of their foreheads and leans his head back against his headboard. Tears are falling in earnest. He closes his eyes. Blackout. Scene 2. Duluth, Minnesota at 8.20 p.m. Hospital. At rise, a young nurse is attending to an elderly patient in a hospital room. The nurse is adjusting the patient's record player. I think... I've got it. Just as he seems to have fixed it, the sirens begin to sound. He jumps back, thinking it's something wrong with the record player. What did you do to my record player? Cut that racket out! Frantically swatting at the record player, trying to get the noise to stop, James is realizing that's not where the sound is coming from. I don't think that's the record. Uh, Let me... I'll be right back. If you scratch my Sinatra, I swear. James runs out of the room. James! James comes across Brandon and runs to him in a panic. What's going on? I don't know. The alarms just started blaring from every direction. Everyone is getting emergency alerts on their their phones. What kind of emergency? They're saying the sun has gone dark. Oh, piss off. I'm serious, James. Read it. James rolls his eyes, pulling out his phone. It's probably just a power outage or something. Report from NASA the sun has gone dark. Eight minutes. Prepare for darkness. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Well, how did this happen? I don't know. What do we do? I don't know! Okay? I... I don't know. This is insane. It's probably just a joke. I I mean, the sun just can't... Just... It's gotta be a joke. Two nurses run up to the two for instructions. Brandon addresses the group. I don't think it is. But whatever is going on, we have to do something. We have to take care of our patients. How? We've only got eight minutes. What are we supposed to do in eight minutes? I'm not sure exactly what is happening. I don't think anyone is, but it doesn't sound like a supernova is occurring. So life could last longer than we think. Maybe a week, even half a month before everything freezes over or or oxygen becomes scarce. We need to be prepared to last as long as possible here, even if we don't. Okay, how can we help? Another doctor arrives. Let's move into lockdown procedure. I'll make an announcement over the loudspeaker, but make sure any staff you come across knows the drill. The doctor and two nurses exit. Brandon starts to follow them out. James stops him. Brandon, what about the patients who can't be moved? Comatose patients? Those in a vegetative state? 
At this point, I don't think there's anything we can do for them. If anyone is going to survive this, we'll need all the resources we have. We can't risk it. Can I at least... Can I say goodbye to her? Of course. I'm so sorry, James. No, I understand. This is the right thing to do. This is what we're trained for. Helping people in times of crisis. We can do this. Yeah. We can do this. Brandon begins to exit and encounters another frazzled nurse. He explains a plan to her as they exit together. James rushes to a nearby supply closet and starts emptying medical equipment onto a cart. His phone starts buzzing. It's his sister, Lacey. Are you okay? James, I don't know what's going on, but everything is crazy. The newscasters keep saying the world is ending and Darren is out of town and Madison is having a sleepover. So all these girls are over and I don't know what to do with them. How am I going to get them home? Their parents must be hysterical. Lacey, it's going to be okay. Take a breath. It's not okay. How are you so calm? You're in a goddamn hospital right now. Aren't you scared? baby is crying on the other end of the phone. Lacey is shushing her. Of course I'm scared, but we don't know what will happen after this. We have to stay calm, as calm as we can. A nurse approaches James, who cups his hand over the phone and answers a question he knows she's about to ask. Start evacuating the patients in this hall to the basement. I'll start on the other side. I'm so sorry. This is the worst time to call. You're even more overwhelmed than I am right now with everything at the hospital. I just wanted to check in. (sighs) Hear your voice. I'm really glad you called, actually. I need to... James is interrupted by the hospital loudspeaker. James attempts to speak over it loudly. Attention all. I need to tell you something, and I know you're not going to like it, but hear me out. I'm going to take Mom off the ventilator. I know you were holding out to the idea that she could get better, but it's been six months. At this point, the chances of her recovering are so small. I I don't want to give up any more than you do, but even if she did wake up and the world somehow hasn't ended yet, there's no way we could take care of her in that world. And there are others who could use the resources right now. I I, I just think it's the right thing to do. And and if I don't do it now, then she could... Do it. What? You're right. I know you don't hear me say it that often, but you are right. This is the best thing for her. Are you sure? No. But at this point, I'd rather we have control over it. You can say a few words. She can be with someone she loves. If something happens, I don't want her to be alone when it ends. Okay. I'll give her a kiss for you. Thanks. Thank you. I... I'm so sorry. I know I haven't handled the situation well these past few months. It's just hard to let go. Especially when everything was so uncertain. But but it's time for her to be at peace. It's time for you to be at peace. Thank you. I wish you didn't have to do it alone. You've been taking care of her for so long. God, I should have been there with you. I wish I could be there with you now. Don't worry about me. I'll take care of this. You take care of the girls. I love you, James. I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Talk to you later. They hang up. James debates whether or not to go into his mother's room or visit another patient. Nancy calls out from the other room. James! James enters her room. Sorry about that, Nancy. What's going on out there? Just a minor emergency. So we're actually going to evacuate you to the basement. 
A nurse enters and James turns to greet her. Emily, perfect. Take Nancy down to the basement with the rest of the patients. I just have to take care of something quickly, then I'll be back to help. Is there anything you need from me? Just don't forget to bring my record player down. Whatever's going on, I I don't want to be listening to those horrible alarms. Absolutely. Actually, would you mind if I borrowed it before bringing it down to you? Just for a second. Fine. But don't break it again. I didn't break it. (laughs) Okay, Nancy. I'll be careful. See you soon. Emily wheels Nancy out in a wheelchair. James walks over and picks up the album next to the record player. James exits the hospital room with the record player in hand and crosses the hall to an older woman hooked up to an IV. He sets the record player up on the table next to her and turns on the song. He sits on her bed and takes her hand. Your favorite. Let me see I know we tried this before, and I'm not expecting for Frank Sinatra to magically revive you, but I thought it might put you at ease. James takes his mom's hand and squeezes. She withdraws, an involuntary reflex possible in a vegetative state. I hate it when you do that. It's so hard to remember that it doesn't mean anything. It, it just makes me feel like I'm failing you. I wish it didn't have to be like this, but it's time. I love you, Mom. James kisses her on the forehead one last time for Lacey. He switches off the machines and takes out the IV. He watches as the heart monitor flatlines. He stands for a moment listening to the music, and he quickly wipes his eyes and face, straightens up, and exits the hospital room to take care of more patients. Blood. Scene 3. Setting. Undisclosed location. At 7.20pm. Bear Bunker. At rise, a man is sitting in his underground bunker watching the news on a clunky old television set. He's in a tank top and boxers, surrounded by a week's worth of old food wrappers and empty microwave meals. The emergency broadcast interrupts the TV program, softly playing in the background. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! Prepare for darkness. I knew it. Fuck! It's go time. It's go time. He rips the keyring off his belt and runs to his giant metal built-in shelving unit. The top shelf is filled to the brim with food supplies. Canned and jarred food, bottles of water, and sanitary supplies. The middle shelf is survival supplies. Flashlights, aluminum, space blankets, first aid kits. The bottom shelf is weaponry. Matches, flares, hatchets, guns ranging from pistols to semi-automatics. He stares at the physicalization of all his hard work and awe, then gets down to business. He grabs a clipboard hanging from the inside of the shelving unit door and starts checking things off. He moves supplies around, checking behind cans to reveal even more cans, always replacing the supplies to exactly where they were. He's flipping through his checklist pages in a frenzy, finally ripping all the pages off the clipboard and throwing them in the air, having confirmed nothing has changed since yesterday. I fucking knew it. He catches one of the sheets of paper floating to the ground and notices something that isn't checked off. Where the fuck... He whips around, looking for the missing item. He throws cushions off the couch and thrusts his hands into the crevices. He triumphantly pulls out a taser gun and collapses on the torn apart couch. He starts messing around with his taser, fake firing it on unspecting victims. These are my beeps! Get back! He accidentally tases a picture frame that falls to the ground. He looks around and spots the fallen picture frame. He checks to see if the frame is broken. It's not. The picture is of a younger Sam and a boy, his brother, Nate. 
He pulls out his flip phone and begins scrolling through. After a moment of scrolling, he snaps it shut. He turns to the frame, talking to the Nate in the picture. Nope. If you wanted to talk, you should have called me. He abandons his phone, setting it and the picture on the coffee table, and reassembles the couch. When finished with his task, he plops back down on the couch, staring at the picture in front of him. Do you even have my number? I bet Dad never gave it to you. (laughs) Typical. I I should call Dad. No, he never come down here. He won't even visit the dang place. You should have seen him when I told him about the bunker. (laughs) He went bad shit. It was almost as bad as the time you told us about. No, nothing was worse than that. Samuel stands and picks both items back up, glancing back and forth between the two. That was way worse. He opens his phone and goes to scroll through his contacts. He only has three. He hovers over the contact saying mom for a moment. Then he presses the delete button. Nothing happens. Do I not have any service down here? Shit. No wonder I haven't gotten any calls. He looks at the clock on the wall, then examines the rest of the room. Everything is in order. All right. I've got, what, five minutes? I can quick run outside just to make a call. Got nothing better to do. Everything else is in order. Now where's my coat? He rummages around, collecting a giant winter coat, mittens, a hat. He's not wearing pants. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. You can do this. The world hasn't ended yet, has it? He sets the picture frame back exactly where he found it. He concludes his conversation with his picture frame Nate. Talk to you soon. He walks over to the door to the bunker and cranks the wheel to open the door. It swings open. In front of him is a ladder leading to the outside world. You can do it. He slowly climbs the ladder, beginning to feel a breeze on his face. He climbs the last few steps and puts his hands on the earth for the first time in a few weeks. It's early morning and the sun is just beginning to rise. He starts laughing, feeling the grass touch his feet. He lays down in it. Then he pulls out his phone, finally doing what he came to do. He hits the number his cursor has been hovering over. It rings for a while, then goes to voicemail. Hey, it's Nate. You know what to do. Hey! How are you? (laughs) Probably not great considering the world is ending. Um, well, I, I just wanted to check in. Sorry I haven't called or anything. I know it's been a while. Time flies when you're in a bunker. (laughs) Not really. It's horrible. (sighs) To be honest, I don't even know what day it is anymore. I mean, I go out every once in a while, but mostly I just been here. Look, I know things haven't been great between us, but that's really your fault. You broke up the family all because you just had to tell us you're a... Well, you really messed us all up, Nate. I mean, I did my best to keep the family safe. I I built a whole goddamn bunker for fuck's sake. Even though no one will come down here but me. They all think I'm crazy. Huh? (laughs) Well, who's crazy now? The world is ending and I was right. I was right.
But I, I wasted so many years getting ready for when life ends that I never let my own life begin. Huh. How crazy is that? I do miss you. Dad does too, I think. Especially since Mom's passed. Has he ever called you? I don't talk to him much. Bad service. Well, I should go. Uh, it, it's getting dumb. It. Oh my God. You need to come to my bunker. You have to come, Nate. I have food and supplies and weapons stocked. It's completely safe for you, for, uh, for anyone you're with. Now, there's not an exact address, you know, for security purposes, but I, it's, it's, no. The machine cuts him off. No. Shit, fuck. No, it's fine. Just text it, it's, it's fine. He plops down on the ground and slowly types out a description of where he is with one finger. There. He tosses the phone over his shoulder. He won't need it anymore now that everyone else is about to die. There. He looks up at the sun. Wow. He stays staring up at the sky as the sun fades. He doesn't return to his bunker. He wants to soak up these last few seconds of the life he once knew. The sun slowly fades and the stage goes black. Blackout. Scene 4. Setting. Duluth, Minnesota at 8.20 p.m. Furnished basement of a suburban home. At rise, four young girls sit around in sleeping bags, eating popcorn, watching a movie, talking and laughing. Oh, shh. I love this part. Chris Pine is so cute. Ew. The movie is interrupted by the emergency broadcast. Go back! Where's the remote? I don't have it. You had it last. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I... (laughs) Oh, wait. I'm sitting on it. (laughs) She pulls the remote out from under her. Girls, get your stuff together. Emma turns her attention to what's actually happening on the TV. What? What? I don't know how to fix it. Hey. Hey, look. What? Offstage, we hear a baby crying and Lacey on the phone. Ugh, Amy never shuts up. Turn it back on! Having recovered the remote from Macy, Madison points it wildly at the TV, aggressively pressing random buttons. I can't get it. She throws the remote back on the couch. Hey! The news person said the sun just went out. What does that mean? It's the end of the world! Macy jumps off the couch and pretends to faint. It's not funny! Oh, shut up, Emma. It's probably just some crazy conspiracy theory like aliens. We come in peace. Leah makes wavy hand gestures at Madison, who swats her away. It looks serious. You're so whiny. Hey! Yeah, remember when she cried in Miss Connor's class when she canceled the field trip to the planetarium? (laughs) You guys are so mean. Leave her alone. We're just joking. Yeah, Emma knows we love her. Even if she is a wuss. 
Leah playfully shoves Emma, who shoves her back. Well, at least I'm not a crazy boy-obsessed freak. Have you told Freddy you love him yet? Oh, Freddy, I love you. Let's be together forever. Macy, Madison, and Emma all make kissy faces at Leah. Wait, that's a good idea. I should call Freddy. Madison turns off the TV so as not to distract from the prospect of love. Oh my god, do it. He so likes you. Like, you have to call him. Oh, Freddy's so nice. You would be such a cute couple. Okay, I'll do it. If the world really is ending anyways, at least I won't die alone. You're not gonna die alone. You'll be with us. Boring! I'd rather die with Freddy. We'll spend our last night laying on a blanket under the stars just like Chris Pine and Mia in Princess Diaries 2. Ugh, you are so boy-obsessed. Emma doesn't get it. She's Beth-obsessed. Wait, you have to call her. No, I, I don't think she likes me. Shut up. She totally does. Yes! We'll call together! Leah, you go first. Just call him already. I'm going! I'm going! I just gotta plan what I say first. You're stalling. You're totally scared. I'm not scared. Fine. I'll do it right now. The room quiets as the girls huddle around the phone. Leah dials nervously. Oh, um... Hi, Miss Michaels. It's Freddy there. I really need to talk to him. It's an emergency. No, uh, not like the one that we're having now. Can I just talk to him? Can I please just talk to him? Thank you. Oh, oh, it's him. It's him. Um, hi, Freddy. How are you? That's great. Uh, wait, no, I mean, yeah, it totally sucks. Well, I just wanted to see how you were doing, and... Uh, Freddie, I'm in love with you! Will you be my boyfriend before the world ends? Okay, you too. Bye. Leah hangs up the phone abruptly. So? What did he say? Leah looks around sneakily at her friends. I have a boyfriend! <gasps> what happened? Tell us everything! Well, I told him that I love him and want him to be my boyfriend. And he said... Okay. And then his mom started yelling at him for being on the phone so he had to go. That's so romantic. You're going to be together forever. Well, at least for the next five minutes. This is such a good idea. Now you call Beth. <sighs> I'm nervous. You have nothing to be scared about. Yeah, if she says no, we're all going to die anyway, so you'll never see her again. You're right. <laughs> Lacey comes downstairs to confront the girls. Hey, your parents are calling. Why are your phones all busy? We had important calls to make. Maddie, look at me. This is serious. Your friends need to call their parents. What do you mean? What's going on, Mom? Come here, honey. It's going to be okay. Amy is crying upstairs. Here, come upstairs with me. Girls, call your parents. Tell them you're okay and that we'll take care of you. Everything will be fine. Lacey exits. Madison looks behind her at her friends and then follows. Sorry, Emma. Yeah. Sorry, Em. It's okay. It'll be okay, right? Oh, it'll be okay. 
It'll be okay. They all take hands comfortingly. Macy's phone rings. She looks at the girls before moving away to take it. Leah and Emma look at each other and pull out their phones to call their parents. Dad, I'm fine. I'm sorry, I didn't see your call. Mama? What's going on? Uh, Madison's mom said to call you. Hi, Grandma. I don't know if you've seen the news, but I'm still at Maddie's and her mom seems really freaked out. No, really, everything is fine. Are you guys okay? I don't know what's going on, but it seems pretty bad. Are you sure? Uh, Madison's mom seemed pretty freaked. Is someone going to pick me up? Okay. Can you? Oh. Okay. I'll get everything packed up just in case. I love you too. Thanks, Mama. See you soon. Well, um, call me back. And come pick me up. I'm getting scared. As the remaining girls are talking with their families, the lights fade to black. Blackout. Scene 5. Setting. Los Angeles, California at 6.20 p.m. Two people stand on opposite sides of the stage. At rise, Taylor is unpacking boxes. Jordan is reading a textbook. Their phones start vibrating. They both ignore it at first, busy with their tasks. Taylor is first to pick up her phone. She reads and rereads the emergency alert. By this time, Jordan has also gotten up to check his phone. After a moment of helplessness, Taylor hits a number on speed dial. Jordan immediately picks up. They exit their respective rooms into the outdoors. Throughout the scene, they are pacing around the stage in a slow circle, never facing each other, never making eye contact. Hi. Hi. Are you okay? Yeah, for now. Are you? Yeah. I can't believe this. Of all the things to end it, this is not what I would have expected. Climate change, definitely. A nuclear war, absolutely. But the sun just... Just fucking dying. I know. I mean... I thought it couldn't get any worse, but here we are. Here we are. Are you scared? What kind of question is that? I don't know. I don't really know how to make conversation in this situation. What situation? The world ending or talking to your ex? Both. How have you been? Apparently you don't know what to say in this situation either. Fuck you. <laughs> just, just distract me. Tell me something good. I've started grad school. Oh my god. Congratulations. Where? UCLA. Wow. That that's incredible. I'm I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited. I can't believe I finally got in. You're going to be such a good teacher. I mean seriously, you deserve this more than anyone. Thanks. How are the kiddos? They're awesome. Wild, but awesome. I'm really going to miss them. Will you teach there again after school? I was planning on it. But now. Right. Yeah. How's the paper been? Harassing politicians into changing the world? It's great. I never feel like I know what I'm doing, but 
Um, I really love it. You're too hard on yourself. I bet you're the best writer in New York by now. Well, <laughs> not anymore. Oh, right. Because. Well, um, yeah, that. And I, uh, I actually got a different job offer from the LA Times. Wow. I, wow. Yeah. Did you take it? Yeah. Why? What? Why did you take the job? New York was it for you. You never wanted to live in LA. Sure, you liked it, but you always said New York is the place to be as a writer. Well, that was before I actually worked there and lived there. It's just, I don't know. It wasn't right for me, I guess. <laughs> Not right for you? You based your whole life on that move. You ended our relationship for that move. But now it's not right for you? Just like that? I didn't end our relationship for New York. And this isn't even about New York. It just, it wasn't the right fit. The job, the, the city, the people, all of it. If that's not why you ended things, then why did you? Jordan, you fucking know why. We've had this conversation a million times. I don't know why we keep, why we need to keep rehashing it. That's not why I fucking called you. Then why did you call me? Because I, I still love you. I love you too. I really fucked us up, didn't I? It's not your fault. It just wasn't the right time for us. Are you already in LA? Yeah. I was, um... I was gonna call you. I just got to town a couple days ago and I thought we could get a drink and catch up, maybe talk about. But it doesn't really matter now, does it? Figures. We finally find ourselves in the same place at the same time and the world's ending. I miss the summer we were in LA. <laughs> Me too. I was really looking forward to visiting the observatory again. I just kept thinking about that night we went up to the park nearby and had a midnight picnic for our anniversary. And and you tried to be all romantic and you and you said, wait, oh, what did you say? So cheesy. It was sweet. I feel like our love was written in the stars. <laughs> And then you spilled that entire bottle of wine all over the blanket and soaked everything. And you tossed the blanket away and started dancing to get dry. And you made me come dance with you, even though you know I can't dance to save my life. I don't think you could even call what you did dancing. Hey, you knew I couldn't dance when you, we started dating. I thought maybe my expertise would have worn off on you, but you just, you've absolutely no sense of rhythm. Well, swing dance is especially hard. It's not that difficult. You just kind of have to get the... The timing? The timing. 
I bet the sky is going to look incredible when the sun goes dark. Nothing will ever beat that night. I've been walking to that park near the observatory. I knew you wouldn't be there, but I guess I wanted to feel closer to you when it ended. I... I don't think I'm going to make it. Shit, wait. Where are you? I, I'm here too, but I don't, I don't see you anywhere. Jordan starts running. I'm at the edge of the park. So am I. Where? I can't see you. They both realize how dark the sky is and stop walking. I can't see anything. Are you scared? Not of this. They turn around and face each other for the first time, making eye contact. They drop their phones. They run towards each other, hands outstretched. Lights fade to one spotlight in the middle of the stage where two hands are stretched out towards each other, not quite touching. Blackout. Scene 6. Setting. Denver, Colorado at 7.20pm. Grocery store. At rise, manager is checking out a customer at a register. Other customers are milling around the store. They finish checking out the customer. Have a nice day. People around the store check their phones, which are buzzing loudly. The next in line doesn't come forward to start checking out. I can help you right here, ma'am. She doesn't look up from her phone. Ma'am, is everything all right? Wordlessly, she shows her the emergency alert on her phone. Chris quickly scans the text on the screen. Chris hears a crash somewhere in the store and snaps up, looking from where it came from. The store is breaking out into chaos, people running and screaming in all directions. Uh, if you'll excuse me for one moment, please. The woman grabs her groceries and runs off stage. Chris sprints to the opposite side of the stage to find two people fighting over a giant package of toilet paper while someone is drinking from an obviously just stolen bottle of whiskey, cheering them on. What is going on here? Give it to me! I had it first! He had it first! Please, you do not need that much toilet paper! You don't know what I need! We have more in the back! There's no time! I can assure you that- Realizing the presence of drunk woman and exactly how she is drunk. Is that stolen merchandise? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The sticker's still on the bottle. You want some? No, I don't want some. I'm working. You're really going to spend your last minutes on earth working? These are not the last- The two people fighting over the last package of toilet paper rip it in half. Now they are screaming at each other and frantically gathering up as many individual rolls as possible. Wait, uh, please, we have more in the back. Chris runs to the front to find an employee to get toilet paper. They arrive at the register to find an employee, Anna, on her way out. Chris is frantic, barely looking at Anna as they speak. While Chris is rambling, Anna is quickly stealing from the cash register. Anna, we need toilet paper from the back. I mean, everyone is going crazy. One lady is getting drunk off of our merchandise. What are you doing? I've got to get out of here. I I'm, I'm sorry. Anna sprints out of the store, stuffing the money into her apron and grabbing a box of cookies on a stand in front of the door on her way out. Chris looks around, helpless as their store descends into chaos. They run over to the wall phone and dial 911. Hello? Hello, I need the police. My store is being looted. Hello? They see three people run out of the store with armloads of stolen merchandise. The last person drops a few things and turns back to pick it up. Hey! Hey! Get back here! You can't just take that! He looks up in fear and then scampers away, leaving what he dropped. Everyone is going crazy. Corporate's gonna kill me. You have to help. What do you mean no one can come? This is an emergency. I don't care what's going on in space. What does that have to do with my store? You're 911. It's your job to handle emergencies. You know what? Fine. I'll handle it myself. 
Chris lands down the phone and then redials. They put themselves on the store speakerphone. Greetings, valued customers. There seems to be some confusion in the store today. Now, I don't know what this crazy spam text is that you, some of you received, but we all must remain calm. I assure you that there's no reason to loot the store with the Bargain Hunter Barnes low prices. If you're looking for toilet paper... Drunk woman takes the phone from Chris's hand and begins her own announcement. Hand the world food, the liquor, oh, everything is free! Chris battles for the phone back, holding drunk woman at bay as they make the correction. Pardon the interruption, Bargain Hunters, but there is no sale in any aisle because it is not the end of the world. Drunk woman regains the phone. Look, people... The world is ending, and there's nothing you can do about it, so relax. Have a drink with me. On the house, am I right? Um, Chris? Chris slams the phone back into the receiver. They whirl around to face drunk woman. I need you to leave the store right now. You're causing a disturbance, and I won't have it. You think I'm causing a disturbance? <laughs> oh, God. You should see the crazy guy waving a gun in aisle four. What are you talking about? Uh, we don't know how guns in this situation. A gunshot goes off farther away in the store. Drunk woman throws up at Chris's feet. Chris jumps back and runs towards the gunshot. On their way to investigate, they grab a plastic baseball bat from the toy aisle. They finally peek around the aisle the gunshot came from. A young man is grabbing all the canned goods and tossing them in a cart that is already overflowing with food. Another man is lying dead further down the aisle. Inching into the aisle with their hands raised, Chris approaches gunman. Um, excuse me, sir. Gunman whips his head around from grabbing canned goods and reaches for his gun. Chris drops the plastic baseball bat in alarm. Wait, wait, please! Oh my god! Gunman slowly lowers his gun, but only slightly. Um, okay. I don't know why you're doing this, or why you even have a gun in the grocery store. I, I mean, I know it's a red state and it's open carry, but... God, why? For this exact reason. You're right! You're right! I'm sorry! Just, uh... Keep doing whatever you're doing, but if you could not shoot anyone else, that would be really great. Don't you get it? This is war. I'm sure there's just some misunderstanding. The, the world isn't ending. Yes, it is. The sooner you accept that, the longer you'll survive. Please, just leave the customers alone and you can do whatever you want. I don't want to do this. If he had just stayed out of my way, everything would have been fine. But there's not enough stuff for all of us. There's plenty of stuff. The store is full of stuff. In fact, I can run in the back and- You don't get it! Only the strongest will survive. If he takes some of these cans only to die days later, it was all a waste. Those of us who actually have a chance at surviving lose out on those supplies. You didn't have to kill him. He would have never survived this anyways. It was an act of mercy. Shooting someone is not merciful. Don't you think it's better to die now than suffer whatever's to come if you're not prepared for it? Why do you think you're prepared for it and he isn't? I've got a fucking gun. Look at him. The guy's wearing a bow tie, and he said excuse me to get the last can goods. You think someone like that's gonna last? Or someone like you? What do you mean, someone like me? You! With your... Speaker phone calls to stay calm. You run an entire fucking grocery store and you're not even taking advantage of that. You just don't have what it takes. No, 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 no. I have what it takes. Gunman slowly begins raising the gun to point at Chris. Chris backs away. Please, please, I have what it takes. It's better this way. For both of us. 
Chris screams and dives out of the aisle towards the baseball bat as Gunman pulls the trigger. Blackout. Scene 7. Setting. Los Angeles, California at 6.20pm. Living room. At rise, an old woman is sitting alone in her living room watching the news. The weather person is announcing the news. A murmured version of the prologue announcement is heard from the TV. Oh dear. Miss Giovanni gets up and shovels off to a kitchen cupboard where she finds a small picnic blanket. She rummages around, loading it with a blanket and a dusty bottle of wine. She takes a bouquet of fresh flowers out of the vase on her dinner table, wraps them in paper, and places them in the basket. She shuffles over to the front door, turns off the lights, and exits the house. She begins walking slowly but with a purpose. After a brief period of silence, she arrives at her destination, a neatly kept grave site. She replaces a bouquet of flowers that sits in front of a grave, barely wilting with a fresher set. The weather people said something crazy on the TV today, Sal. Apparently, the world is coming to an end. Well, it's been coming to an end for a while now, in my opinion, with the drugs and the wars and the wars on drugs. I'm surprised it took this long. But none of that is what's ending the world. (laughs) The damn sun stopped working. The sun just up and quit. I I could never imagine, say, oh, well. Everything else I have to update you on is going to pale in comparison to this. But we do have a new neighbor. A nice young woman moved here all the way from New York City. Well, she doesn't seem to know anyone here, so I dropped off some pizzelles and gave her some advice. She seems so familiar, but I can't quite place her. Or maybe it's just because she's a writer. (laughs) Reminds me of you. Ah, speaking of, I brought you some pizzelles. I made the lemon ones this time, which I know aren't your favorite, but Chris likes them. And they might come home for Christmas this year. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Miss Giovanni opens the container of pizzelles and places one on top of the gravestone. She starts nibbling at another. I forgot how many pizzelles the recipe makes. This batch could last till Christmas and still feed the whole family. I even sent some to Ryan and Nate for Jenny's birthday just to get rid of some. You remember them, the the nice couple that lived in that yellow house across the street. Their little Jenny is five years old now. It seems like just yesterday they brought her home, the little bundle of joy. I guess that's what getting old does to you reminiscing, forgetting how many pizzelles to make. (laughs) I mean, not that you would know. Say, oh, well. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. Uh, I brought something special for tonight. She pulls out an old wine bottle and two wine glasses. Do you remember this? Oh, yes, you do. It's the bottle from our wedding. The one your parents brought us from Italy. We were supposed to drink it together, but after you passed, it didn't seem right to drink it by myself. But I guess now is as good a time as any. She begins pouring the wine into his wine glass. Just tell me when. Oh my, really, Sal, there is no need to overindulge. You're not the one stuck on Earth to see the sun quit. (laughs) She chuckles at her own joke and sets his wine glass next to his grave. She then pours herself a small glass. She goes to put the bottle in the basket and accidentally knocks over Sal's wine glass with her elbow. 
It soaks the ground near his grave and part of the blanket. Oh, goodness. Oh, look what I did. What a mess. Well, it, it will probably be easier for you to drink that way. <laughs> she takes a sip of her wine. Mm. This is incredible. We really should have gotten a bottle of this on our Italy trip instead of that disgusting uh, Amarone. <laughs> You know I don't like dry red, Sal. I don't know why you would have chosen that one. Ruined the whole trip. Oh, I'm just kidding. Nothing could have ruined that trip. If I had known that was our last vacation together, I would have... Well, I don't know what I would have done. You know, I don't think I would have changed anything. That was a beautiful trip. But you're right, knowing would have just made me sad. It was a bit short for my liking, but we had a beautiful life together. Even through the chemo, always laughing in that little hospital room. <laughs> you know, I still send Christmas cards to that nice young doctor in Minnesota who treated you. Do you remember him? What was his name again? Um, Brandon. That's it. What a nice young man. And now we have wonderful children and grandchildren. Did I tell you that Jordan's gotten into grad school? UCLA. What a smart kid. It takes after you, I tell you. I am so lucky. But if I could go back and change one thing... I would have loved to visit Italy again, with the sights and the foods. I could have lived there, Sal, preferably with you, though I'd do it by myself if I had to. I loved it that much. <laughs> but I couldn't leave you here all by yourself. Who would have kept you company all these years? Well, certainly not the people who keep this place up. I tell you, some of the people around here make no sense. No sense at all. I wanted to dig up some of your hydrangea up and plant it here next to you. It is beautiful this spring, coming in all baby blue. I would have thought they'd have bigger things to worry about than where I plant my hydrangeas, but apparently not. <laughs> Can you imagine that little funeral home fellow chasing after me and my hydrangeas? <laughs> It's a good thing the sun is going out so we won't be able to see it. But just picture it, Sal. Oh, well, I, I, I know you never met him, but if you could have seen his face when I asked if there were two lakefront plots available, why, you'd have thought I asked to buy the whole damn lake. <laughs> I swear some people in this generation have their priorities all backwards. Well, I've about had it with them. With this whole place, for that matter. Is it any better up there? Or down here? <laughs> oh, I kid, I kid. <sighs> but I am ready, Sal. Miss Giovanni looks down at her almost empty wine glass. She raises it towards the grave to make a toast to being together again. It's about time, don't you think? Miss Giovanni packs up the picnic, putting the wine and wine glasses away as carefully as she assembled it. 
She takes the blanket, spilled wine and all, and lies down next to her husband's grave on the plot that would have been hers. She closes her eyes for the last time and passes away. Blackout. Scene 8. Setting. Seattle, Washington at 6.20 p.m. Called astronomy lecture. At rise, the same classroom from the prologue. Emergency lights and alarms are going off. Professor stands at the front of the room, reaching for her phone. Students are in different stages of reading the text, and most are frozen in confusion. Professor finally reads the emergency alert. Students get out of their seats. Some turn to others around them to confer. Others stand isolated. Murmurs of confusion grow louder. What's going on? Professor, what does this mean? Professor still stares at her phone. This is impossible. It's only ever been talked about in theory. I I don't understand. The class grows more and more agitated. A few students begin packing up their stuff. Let's get the fuck out of here. The two sprint out of the room and a couple more follow. Professor turns to her desk and flips through one of her many astronomy textbooks. This doesn't make sense. What do we do? Come on, let's go! But we don't know what's happening! Students who haven't left the classroom are frantically calling loved ones. Most aren't getting through or are going straight to voicemail. The phone lines are down. My call won't go through. Student cries are growing as others join in. With the new development of phone issues, more are fleeing the room. Others are redialing in a fruitless attempt to get through. Why don't we have service? Just as yet another student is trying to escape, the classroom doors electronically bolt shut in the school-wide emergency lockdown procedure. We can't get out! Why are they doing this to us? The few students who didn't rush out in the beginning of the crisis are in a frenzy. Some are pulling on the doors, some are running to alternative exits, others are opening the windows. Two students who are pushing on the doors call to other students. Come on! Help us! He gives up on pushing and grabs a chair, slamming it repeatedly into the door. A few students come to help, most others back away in fear. The room is in turmoil. Banging, dial tones, and screams are coming from all directions. In the chaos, Professor slowly approaches the window, watching the sunset and marveling at this scientific anomaly. Fuck this. The students surrounding the doors are giving up hope. Russell grabs the chair and heads for the windows. He throws the chair at a large window next to Professor. The window shatters and the chair crashes to the ground four stories below. Professor is shocked out of her reverie as she is assaulted by broken glass. Stop this! What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're acting like this is a meteor shower or something. The sun is dying and we're going to die with it. I'm just trying to get the fuck out of here. And fall to your death? We're on the fourth floor, Russell. There's nowhere to go. Well, it's better than standing around here and doing nothing. Students start to gather around Russell and Professor. Look, I don't know what's going on out there any more than you do, but we have to stay calm. We can't go throwing ourselves out of windows. How are we supposed to stay calm? You're an astronomy professor. You should know what's going on. This is an unprecedented issue. Why can't you help us? Please, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do, but all this chaos is just making things worse. Stop fucking acting like everything's okay. We're all going to die. Well, I'm not waiting around for that to happen. Russell grabs the side of the windowsill and hoists himself up, cutting his hand on the glass as he does so. He winces and loses his grip. The students around him scream. He teeters forward and Professor lunges for him, pulling him back into the classroom. She keeps a tight grip on Russell and whirls around to face the class. Enough! This is insanity! I get it. You're upset. We all are. But you're only making things worse for yourselves and the people around you. Is this really how you want to spend the last few minutes of your life? Get him some band-aids. They're with the first aid kit in the cupboard. A student rushes off and returns with the kit. She starts wrapping up his hand. I'm sorry. 
This is a horrible situation, and I wish that we could all be with our loved ones somewhere safe. But we're not. We're here. And we need to take care of each other. It's the end of the world. That's the first time someone's ever said that, and it might actually be true. You lost the bet. What? You lost the bet. It's the end of the world. Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, I'm waiting. I didn't think that I'd actually have I'm to- kidding, I'm kidding. You don't actually have laughs. Sophia leans over and grabs Nick's shirt, kissing him square on the mouth. She breaks away smug. Oh, shit. Anyone else want to profess their undying love for each other? We've got all the time in the world. Martin gets up and clasps his hands together, throwing himself forward. I love you, Professor Warren! Will you marry me? What's my first name, Martin? Um, Professor? I think you have your answer, but thank you for lightening the mood. Professor notices one young woman is sitting away from the group, desperately dialing and redialing a number on her phone. A droning dial tone is heard. Professor approaches her. Marie, what's going on? I can't get through to my daughter. Professor sits down next to her. I didn't know you had a daughter. What's her name? Caitlin. Can you tell me about her? She just turned five, and she's in kindergarten. She's home right now. I'd probably be putting her to bed soon, reading books, singing lullabies. Does she have a favorite lullaby that you sing to her? (laughs) You are my sunshine. That's one of my favorites, too. My mom used to sing that to me when I was a kid. It's getting darker. How many minutes have passed? Almost seven. Students begin to hold hands in solidarity and comfort. Marie's call to her daughter finally goes through. She gets the voicemail box. Jenna! Thank God. Whenever you get this, put Caitlin on, please. I need to... I need to say goodbye to her. Make sure she knows I love her and... Baby, it's mommy. I love you so much. And I'm sorry I'm not there with you right now. But but don't worry. I promise I'll be home soon. I I promise I... Professor takes her hand. You are my sunshine. My only sunshine. You make me happy when the skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Marie ends the call. Hand in hand, together they watch the sun fade to black as the clock passes through its final minute. Blackout. End of play.